The British government has reintroduced their enhanced domestic abuse bill to Parliament. Within the bill, the government's considering a law to curb the use of the rough sex defence that campaigners say is being used by men to dodge murder convictions. Uh, No woman has ever used that as a defence. The promised review of the rough sex defence follows a public outcry over the killing of British backpacker Grace Mullane here in New Zealand. The We Can't Consent to This campaign group found 60 UK women have been killed at the hands of men who claimed their victims consented to violent sex or a sex game gone wrong. And in the last five years, the defence was successful in seven of the 17 killings of a woman, which reached trial, with the man being found not guilty or receiving a manslaughter conviction. Uh, I spoke to the We Can't Consent to This campaign spokesperson, Louise Perry, earlier in the morning, and uh, she joins me now. Good morning. I find it incredible. In the last five years, the defence was successful in seven of the 17 killings of a woman which reached trial, with the man being found not guilty or receiving a manslaughter conviction. How does that happen? Is it because of poorly worded law? Is it really snazzy good uh, defence barristers, how does this happen? Well, there seem to be a few factors at play. So we've we've been documenting cases where UK women and girls have been killed, and their dis- and their uh, killers have claimed in court that they died as a result of consensual rough sex. And uh, Grace Mullane was actually the 60th UK woman mm. whose killer made this defence in court. Uh, the earliest case we found goes back to 1972. So this isn't an entirely new phenomenon, but just in the last 20 years, we've seen a huge rise in not only the numbers of, of defendants making this claim, but also so in the proportion of cases where their claim has been successful. So as you were saying, just under half of half of cases in recent years, um, they've not been convicted of murder. They've been able to avoid a murder conviction and they've been convicted of manslaughter or in a couple of cases actually not being found, found guilty of any crime at all um, because of the use of this defence. And it seems that what's happening in the UK is that on the, on the books, technically, it shouldn't be possible for them to be using this defence because there's a piece of case law in England and Wales that's 25 years old now, which says that it's not possible for someone to consent to serious violence. It's not, certainly not possible for someone to consent to being, to being murdered. But what seems to be happening is that even though that's what it technically says on the books, that's not really been enacted in court because we're seeing much greater sympathy right the way through the criminal justice system from police to juries to the media, where um, defendants who make this kind of defence, who construct this narrative about their, about their victim having to con- consent to what was done with her, come to her, increasingly they are being met with sympathy, they're being believed, and there's a sort of credulousness, actually. I mean, we found some really concerning cases. One case where... A man, uh, a man killed his wife, and initially the police believed his story that she had accidentally died as part of a sex game gone wrong, and they didn't they didn't investigate it as a murder at all. Only for him later to confess to a friend that he had actually murdered her, and it was only at that point that the police really started treating this as a murder investigation, rather than just going along with what he'd he'd claimed, which is it, it seems so crazy to us because you know particularly with something like strangulation, which is of course how Grace died. About two thirds of the victims whose cases we've documented died through strangulation, and there's often this this public uh, misperception that it's very easy to kill someone through strangulation, that it's something that can be done uh, carelessly without really meaning to. But we know, as Scott Beer, the detective who investigated Grace's case, 
was saying to the press that it takes five to ten minutes to kill someone through strangulation. Mm. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of force. It's not something that you can do easily by accident. So we, 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 we frankly just don't believe killers who try and make this claim in court and try and claim that this is something that, that, uh, that they didn't mean to do. Um, we think that actually killers are cynically using this defence. And unfortunately, in Grace's case, her killer was found guilty of murder. The jury refused to believe mm. that she'd consented to violence that killed her, which is so good. You know, we were so relieved that that, that verdict was, was reached. But unfortunately, that's not always happening. We're seeing a lot of cases where juries are believing killers' narratives around how their victims died. We're also seeing, I'm looking at your website, we're also seeing that a lot of juries and a lot of judges do not believe it. And when it comes to sentencing, the book is being thrown at the at the perpetrators. You know, um, minimum term of 22 years, minimum term mm-hmm. of 26 years. So where they are believed, um, where the stories of the victims are believed, then the killers are getting what they deserve. Yes, and I mean, you know, that's absolutely as it should be as far mm. as we're concerned. The problem is that we're also seeing cases where um, defendants are being found guilty of manslaughter and that even though manslaughter technically can carry a life sentence, so it could be, you, know, you could mm. just say this is technicality, the fact they're being found guilty of manslaughter, not murder. But actually what we're seeing is really low sentences, so anywhere from sort of three, four, five, six, seven years. Mm. And of course, they're out in half that time in the UK system. So. So actually, we're seeing sentences that really don't reflect the seriousness of what's been done. And that's what really concerns us. And we actually know three cases, at least three cases, of killers who've made this defence and then they've gone on to kill again after being released from prison. Because actually, very often, these killers have a pattern of really serious violence against women that the jury don't necessarily know about. Yeah. So it was going before uh, Parliament and then Parliament was prorogued, of course, and the election was called. Are you mm-hmm. expecting? Um, are you expecting the bill that will curb the use of um, rough sex as a defence? Are you expecting an easy transition through Parliament? We we are cautiously optimistic. Okay. It was announced today <laughs> that there is actually going to be a, a review into the use of the rough sex defence, um, which is hopefully going to be conducted by the Ministry of Justice here in the UK, and we are. Um, we're, we're very pleased to hear that there's going to be a review because this is something that needs some really serious investigation uh, on the part of the government. What we're pushing for is, is for that review to be done in a timely fashion because the, we've, there are amendments to the domestic abuse bill, which, as you say, is the finished parliament, uh, which would make it much more difficult for defendants to use this defence. And what we need is for this review to be conducted quickly enough so that its um, findings can be released before the bill reaches the House of Lords and so that the findings can actually be implemented in law. But um, we we were able to get a promise from all three members of major parties just before the general election that they were supporting our campaign and they did want to to find some kind of solution to this, the problem of the use of this defence. So there is the will in Parliament. Unfortunately, there is a cross-party support for this, Mm -hmm. but it's just about actually getting it done at the moment. And an interesting part of the legislation that's proposed is uh, requiring councils to find safe accommodation for victims and their children. Yes. That seems, yes. A, that seems an extraordinary responsibility on the part of the, the person who's making the decisions about finding safe accommodation and keeping those women and children safe. Yeah, but then remembering this is part of the context of uh, uh, over a decade now of really serious cuts for domestic violence services in the UK. I mean, I used used to work in the women's sector before I became a journalist and started working on this campaign. And the the rape crisis centres and refuges have have been 
operating on an absolute shoestring for such a long time and we've seen women actually turned away from refuges. This is so dangerous at the moment the, yeah. um, that, that there isn't the this, this safety net available for women fleeing domestic abuse situations. So, so I, I, you know, we're delighted to see the government being, being put under pressure here to actually stump up the funds right. to and protect I guess- women and children from violence. I guess if they're going to be, if councils are going to be held legally liable, then they are going to find the cash to ensure that these women are safe. Yes, and hopefully central government funding will be available. As you say, it goes back, I mean, on your website, it goes back to 1972, the case studies of of the women. Mm. Is it more a matter of changing attitudes or changing the law? It's both. Mm. I mean... When it comes to the law, what we're looking at doing is not so much introducing radically new legislation. It's more around clarifying the existing law and making sure that the that the state is held to account in terms of pursuing these cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would with you know the utmost seriousness. As you say, there is also an attitude issue, given that so much of what we've been seeing is to do with the attitudes of juries and the attitudes of the general public, um, and that is, I think, to do with. Um, a normalisation that we've seen over the last couple of decades in terms of uh, a normalisation of uh, really quite serious violence as part of otherwise consensual sex, particularly when we're talking about something like strangulation. So there was a survey done at the end of last year that we were involved with, which found that um, 38% of UK women under 40 said that they had experienced non-consensual choking, slapping, gagging or spitting during otherwise consensual sex. And those are just stunningly high numbers, right? It's a really high proportion of women experiencing non-consensual violence and aggression as part of sex. And, you know, you have to see that within the context of the huge rise in access to really violent porn, Mm -hmm. which maybe a generation ago, you know, existed. There's always been people who've been interested in that kind of extreme violent sex. But that kind of porn wasn't available in the way that it is now. But, you know, it was something that you had to seek out Whereas now what we're seeing is not only is it extremely mainstream on the, on the big porn sites, but also that it's even available on social media platforms like Instagram, Pinterest and Tumblr, where we've been finding, you know, really, really prevalent images of, of sexualized strangulation available on these platforms that are supposed to be suitable for children aged 13 plus. And yet Instagram in particular have really been dragging their heels about removing these images from their sites and haven't been taking it nearly seriously enough. And, you know, when you've got that context of very normalised, very mainstream um, images of strangulation and other sort of extreme violence, always against women. So, you know, the, the images that we find on, on places like Instagram, it's, it's, it's universally women being strangled. And often the images are taken from the point of view of the person doing the strangling. Yeah. And when you've got children often viewing these images from a really young age, you know, that has an effect on the sexual culture. And I think that's so much of the driving force behind this trend that we're seeing, that, that people, the general public just having a different attitude towards sexual violence and, and, and therefore being more sympathetic to defendants who make these kind of claims. I thank you very, very much for your time and good luck with the campaign. Louise Perry, thank we can't so consent to this campaign spokesperson. And we'll keep an eye on that legislation as it makes its way through the British Parliament.